Good to be with all of you. We're in a series right now called Mental, and we are talking about the mental aspect of being human. We know that man is multiple parts. We have a spirit, and that's the most important part of us. That's the eternal part of us. That's the part of us that will never die, that when your body dies, your spirit moves on and and goes into eternity. Um, We have our physical body, which we're very well acquainted with, and as you get older, it reminds you regularly of its problems and flaws. But and then we have the mental part. We have our mind. So we're made up of multiple parts. And we're talking specifically in this series about the mental, about the mental part. And uh, last week we started talking about our identity. And much of our identity is wrapped up in how well we have renewed our minds to be in alignment with the Word of God uh, and to believe what the Word of God says about us. You know, the Word of God tells us everything we need to know about who we are. It tells us the creation of man, tells us the whole story. We were made out of dust. We were were a thought in God's mind that he brought into existence as the crown of creation. We were made in his image to be God-like, not gods, but God-like. We're like God, being made in his image. And uh, we're, we're like God in a lot of capacities in far as how we look, but also how we think how we communicate, how we exercise authority. That was the number one goal of, of God creating humans on this planet was to exercise authority over his creation. He delegated that to us. We've squandered it and ruined that pretty well. But that was his design and plan was for us to exercise authority. And by the way, that, that plan is not stopped and won't stop in eternity. It just will be redeemed and it'll be recreated in a better way. But that's not for this sermon this morning. So the Bible tells us everything we need to know about who we are. But Satan, the world, this culture is also constantly trying to tell you who you are and trying to get you to identify. This is a, 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 you could say trigger word, you you know, you could say a a catchphrase, but this word uh, I identify as is a very, very popular phrase right now, but that's not by accident. Because the world is always trying to get you to identify as something different than what God says you are and what he created your identity to be. Your identity, first and foremost, should be a son of God, a daughter of God. That just about tells you everything you need to know about who you are. If you are a son of the creator of the universe, if you are a daughter of the creator of the universe, that alone, that one idea just about tells you everything you need to know about who you are. Now, the Bible goes on to explain the rest of it, but what the world, and we talked about evolution even, and how really evolution is just a fight for your identity, where the Bible says you're extremely valuable and God, so valuable that God sacrificed his own son for you. That tells you your value. He thought the death of Jesus was worth the price of you. That alone tells you your value, but what does evolution say? Evolution says you have no value. Evolution says you're just a molecule. You're, like a, you're no different than an amoeba or a bacteria. You just kind of came out of the sludge and you grew and developed, and it's a complete accident that you're here. Complete, complete accident. No, you have no purpose. You have no greater place, and you're not eternal. When you die, you just go into the ground. So evolution is really an argument over identity, First of all, it tells, you that there, it tells you who God is, which there is no God. That's the idea. And then 
it tells you who you are. You weren't created by God. You're just, you're just a, a piece of, you know, particle or dust or atom or whatever that has no meaning and purpose. I can't imagine anything more demoralizing than that, by the way, to, uh, to think and go through life. And it doesn't take, if, if anyone is self-reflective, it doesn't take very long to just kind of look at your life and, and the intricacies of thought and your eyeballs and your ears and your fingers and how everything works and go, this is a pretty complex system. And I don't think nothing just created this. It doesn't take very long to figure that out, but that's how deceptive this idea is. Have you noticed that things have gotten more and more deceptive though, as time has gone on? Like the, the things that people believe are getting more and more crazy. Like I, I, evolution is crazy to me when you think about the idea that nothing can create something. Okay, that, that's about as dumb as you get on that one line alone. Something can't create nothing. I mean, nothing can't create something. Okay, but that alone. But as we've gone on, the ideas have gotten crazier and crazier and crazier. But that's what deception does. Once you believe one lie, it's much easier to believe the next. And it's easier to believe the next and the next that. And once you believe that a, a man can be a woman, then why can't kids be cats and dogs and everything else? Yeah, that's out there. Trust me. I, and some of you, you know, but we're not getting into all that. Okay. We're staying away from that. But, I, but you got to understand what it all ties to. All of it comes from people don't know who they are. You don't need to be special by being a kitty cat. Or you don't need to be special by being some different gender than you are. You're special because you're a child of God. That's what makes you special. I don't need to be unique. I don't need to be different. I'm different and unique because God made me unique and special and thought I was important enough to adopt me into his family and make me a child of God. This is our fight as Christians is to not bash people, argue people, but help people see their identity. Look, you don't have to be different. And, we're, and this isn't anything new. You know, when I was going up, when I was coming up, you know, the goth thing started coming out. People had to be dressed in black and paint their fingernails. And what's it all about? Want to be different, want to be unique, want to be special. And somehow that identity makes you unique and special. But thing is, it doesn't. And by the way, the more people that do it, the less unique you become. At this point... All the uh, additions of the LGBT plus, you know, add infinity, you know, numbers and letters to the end. Uh, there's just, it's so many that it's not unique anymore. So we have to keep, keep creating new categories to be unique. And we keep getting weirder and weirder because of it. But you don't need all that to be unique. You don't need that to be unique. Um, not sure I should say this, but how many of you remember, we used to have a place locally called Unique. I don't know. This is, this was a long time ago. If you were, you've been around Alexandria for a while, but it's, it's long gone. I probably shouldn't have even mentioned that. But anyway, you don't need all that to be unique. Listen, the fact that you were created and brought onto this planet, God knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. The, the, the Bible says that every day of your life was written in a book before it ever even began. You don't need that to be unique. But the problem is we don't know our identity. I mean, the believers do, hopefully. But some, so many do not know their identity. And this is a battle of the mind. And it's what's going on all around us. Everything you see. Social media, TV, internet, it's a battle for people's identity. We want to put you in this category. If we can't do it over gender um, and, and sexuality, we'll do it over race. 
well, you're black, so you've got to think like this. You're white, you've got to think like this. Oh, well, you're Asian, and so this, that. And, and if it's not that, then it's political. Well, you're a Democrat, so you have to be, in the, and you need to be fighting all these people that are against this, or, well, you believe in global warming, well, you don't. And what it's all about, it's identifying with a group. To that's, my identity is all wrapped up in that to go, well, this is my purpose, and this is what I fight for. This is what I believe for. Listen, as children of God, we have to be above that. There's no identity that is more important or more valuable than my identity in Christ as a son and daughter of God, a, a son or a daughter of God. And as I go through this earth, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm living, I'm preaching, I'm raising a family from that identity, from and out of that identity. And this is so crucial, especially for the younger generation coming up. If you're raising kids, you got to get this in them. They've got to know that. Because let me tell you something. If, if they don't learn their identity from you, they will learn it from the world. And if they learn their identity from the world, they will be so screwed up. And look, if they didn't get them in high school, they'll get them in college. <laughs> it, it, look, Satan knew what he was doing. Because it's, it's sad how many kids go to college and get messed up on this issue right here or don't? Because it's, it's really just turned into a big place for indoctrinating kids in the wrong direction. And then again, another sermon, not getting off on that. But Satan's behind it. No one person was smart enough to orchestrate and put all this together. But it looks orchestrated sometimes, and, and it is in a sense, but it's orchestrated from a spiritual standpoint. You know, I don't think like the Illuminati's behind it. You know, I, I don't think like there's some big, you know, wealth forum that's behind it. I, I think that there's a spiritual force that's behind it. I'm not saying people don't work on it behind the scenes and, and man gets involved. But Satan is behind it. And, and his goal is to bring this nation down and to weaken this nation. And ultimately for many to end up in hell. Because America is still the brightest light when it comes to the gospel worldwide. We put more money into the gospel. We send more missionaries into the gospel than any other nation. And that's still true. Now, I want to show you a painting this morning. Uh, you may recognize this painting. It's a very famous painting. It's called The Starry Night. And it was painted by a guy. Anybody know? Who? There you go, Van Gogh. I was hoping somebody would shout out something wrong, but anyway. Van Gogh, that is correct. Now, Van Gogh paintings are very expensive. You know, most of you recognize this painting, and probably most of you knew when you saw it who painted it. Uh, very famous painting. Van Gogh paintings, uh, the, the most that his, his top painting that ever sold, uh, sold for $83 million. This wasn't actually too long ago. Uh, second most, 81 million. Third most, 72 million. So his paintings are extremely valuable. Extremely valuable. And this one in particular, in 1940, was, was donated to a, a museum in New York. So it hasn't gone on the market in a long time. But this is considered by far, by far, his most valuable painting and, and experts don't actually know what it would go for. But they said if this one went on the market, some people have been interviewed. There was one uh, billionaire who said that he would liquidate his entire empire to own this painting. Now, I don't know if he was joking or not, 
If I was a museum, I would say, well, we could talk about it. But they don't really know. And actually, this, this painting by most experts is actually considered priceless. There's just no way to even put a value on it. It, it is so desirable and so rare. Now, the problem is, you know, who you think of and who we think of as Van Gogh, the, the painter and all, and all his value, one of the greatest painters of all time and, you know, super valuable, super rare paintings. This was not his identity, though, because he did not live to see any of this. As a matter of fact, in his own lifetime, he only sold one painting. He only sold one painting. He, was, he lived in extreme poverty. He was supported by his brother. He, he, he actually was so depressed that he chopped off his own ear at one point. I don't know how that solved anything. It probably made him more depressed. But in, in, in all joking aside, he, did, he ended up taking his own life. He shot and killed himself uh, at age 37. And he never even was aware of the true value of what he had and what he had done and what he, what he had produced. And as I was thinking about identity, I was thinking about uh, this, this issue of, of how many people live one way. They, and, and in reality, they actually are beyond valuable. And what they've done and what they think, maybe what they've painted is valuable. But that's not their identity. You know why? Because they're waiting on other people to tell them what their identity is. He thought, he considered himself so invaluable that he took his own life. Why? Because the world had not yet recognized his value. But was he valuable with or without the world recognizing it? He was, his paintings were always what they were. They were always valuable. They were always priceless. They were always genius as many recognized later. But the world had never yet told him that or recognized that. So he lived with an identity as being broke, poor, failure, no purpose. That was how he saw himself. But, but he actually had a different identity that the world found out about later. And I wonder how many of us, how many of our children, how many of us are living with a different identity that doesn't actually match reality? It doesn't actually match what heaven sees. And, and so many of our kids in particular, they don't consider themselves to be valuable or full of purpose because they're waiting for somebody to tell them. They're waiting for somebody to show them and say, you are valuable. They're, they're, they're waiting for the world to do that. But I, I want to get the message to my children and to you that you don't need the world to tell you that you're valuable. They may recognize it one day, but whether they recognize it or not is irrelevant you are already valuable whether the world recognizes it or not. You know, when we started this church, for example, uh, we started in a hotel with five people. At that point, five people recognized that we were valuable, that church was valuable, that we were providing a valuable ministry. Today, a few more recognize it. Okay, maybe later in life, some, maybe more will recognize it. Maybe they won't. The value's there whether people recognize it or not. And that's where identity becomes so important. I don't want or need the world to tell me my value or my worth. I need to find that in Christ. And if somebody recognizes it or someone sees it and someone applauds it one day, great, fantastic. But I don't need that to validate my identity because God's already told me my value. 
There's nothing that tells me my value more than Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. That tells you your value. The only way you know something's value is, is what people are willing to pay for it. You know, I could try to sell you this bottle of water for $1,000. And I go, well, that's its value. Its value is whatever somebody's going to pay for it. And we're probably not going to get more than 75 cents. Unless I tell you it's like holy water or something like that, you know. And it, but I, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't believe me anyway, I hope. But it's only what somebody's willing to pay for it. God was willing to sacrifice his son and shed his blood for you. That tells you your value. Now, if I live every day with that understanding, if God thinks I'm that valuable, why do I need the world's approval or the world to tell me if I'm valuable or not? I don't need that. I already have God telling me that. And by the way, the way this world is, is they may think that you're valuable one day and completely not valuable the next day. They may think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and everybody wants your autograph and you're the most popular person in the world and then you say one thing wrong or do thing one thing wrong and next thing you're yesterday's garbage and you're thrown out with everybody else. So if your value is tied up in that, if your identity is tied up in that, you're going you're gonna to live a, a lonely, a, a very miserable life. But praise God, our value does not need to be tied up in or our identity tied up in what the world or what any other person thinks about us. It, it, now, we can, of course, receive feedback and, 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 and help, and we can, we can receive some information from how other people receive us and all that that does provide some value. But, but what's the foundation for everything is what does God think about me? And how many of you know you can have the opposite thing happen too? You can have where the world thinks you're the most valuable and everybody thinks you're the greatest thing, but, but God knows your true life and he, know, he knows what's going on in your secret life. And he has an opinion of what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're living. And one day, all of us will stand before God and what other people thought about us will be completely irrelevant. How other people valued us will be completely irrelevant. You know, I think there's a lot of people walking around this planet that humans worship and praise and, and want their autograph and would love to just own like a piece of their clothing or an instrument they played or something like that. And it's so confusing to heaven. Like when they get to heaven, it's going to be like people clamored over this, but in, in heaven's eyes, they didn't have that same status. And then there are others that the world considers worthless. I mean, there's no value, no real value assigned to them. But when they get to heaven, heaven is going to be like, well done. You know, Jesus told us that. He said the first will be last and the last will be first because we have it backwards. So what we're talking about in this series is how do we figure that out now? I don't want to have to wait to get to heaven to find out what heaven really thought was valuable. I think we can know, we can begin to understand now who and what heaven considers valuable and align our thinking with that. Amen? I want to tell you a story this morning about a man named Moses. We're going to look in Acts chapter 7 verse 20 where the story of his life was talked about uh, by Stephen as he was being about to be stoned. Um, we get a little more information <clears throat> from the book of Acts than just the book of Exodus because Stephen retells this story. 
But of course, you know that Moses was born into the house of Pharaoh. Um, Acts 7.20. It says, at this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. There's value, right? There, there's identity right off the bat. He was born with value. He was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. <clears throat> he was brought up three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. Because you remember Pharaoh was trying to kill all of the young, the young uh, children. And it says, when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed, notice this because we talked about this last week with the Babylonians. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Now, we don't get a lot about Moses' upbringing in the book of Exodus. But the idea was that Pharaoh's daughter brought him into the most powerful man and family in the world. And he was raised as a son of Pharaoh year after year, you know, for a couple decades and Moses was brought up in the way and culture. In other words, his mind was renewed to think like an Egyptian and to think in the ways and customs and culture of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had many gods. They had the, the sun god, and they had the gods of the harvest, and they had all of these different, and that's how Moses was instructed, and that's how he was raised. Now, did he, we're not told how much he knew about you know, his heritage as a Hebrew, we're not really told that. We're not told if he knew or, or believed other things that the Israelites might have believed. We do know that at a certain point in his life, around the age of 40, that he kills an Egyptian because of the way that Egyptian was treating a Hebrew slave. And he, so he he kills the Egyptian. He flees to Midian, which was kind of on the outskirts in the wilderness away from Egypt. He flees to Midian. He marries a country girl out there in the wilderness. He becomes a shepherd. And the next 40 years are spent on the backside of the desert. So that puts him at 80. Now think about what his identity is at this point. All right. First 40 years, I'm raised in luxury while my people are suffering under slavery. I'm in luxury. I'm in comfort. I'm in ease. My people are out there. They're suffering. And he, in a fit of rage, he kills one of the Egyptians. And then he has to flee. He goes, he marries this girl. He becomes a shepherd. He's now 80 years old. I mean, he's coming to the end of his life. People lived a little bit longer back then, but still he's 80 and he's coming to the end of his life. What is his identity at this point? I mean, what would your identity be? Like, I mean, how many regrets did he have of maybe what he did in Egypt to think, man, how could have things turned out different if I hadn't done that? And if I were Moses, I would feel forgotten. I would feel pretty small and insignificant. Not that I wouldn't be happy with my life, because I, I, I wouldn't mind being a shepherd, you know, till I'm 80. I wouldn't mind being that at all. But I don't have a problem with that. But, but still, your identity is going to be, I'm really not this, like, big, significant, influential person. Um, I'm, I'm raising a family. I'm, I'm happily married. I like my father-in-law. I'm raising some sheep. I'm 80. Th this is it. Th this was my life. It was a, it was a pretty good life. Uh, there's just not much to it. 
And that was his view of himself. Was that heaven's view of him? Isn't that amazing to me? I mean, isn't that amazing to you to think about the misalignment between how Moses saw himself and how God saw Moses? And that's just how God is. You can ask him about it when you get there. But I'm going to ask him, how come you didn't give us some clues along the way? Like, why don't you just poke every now and then and go, hey, I got something big coming down the pipe. You know, this isn't all, this isn't all there is. I got a big plan for you. But Moses didn't seem to have any of that. He's just raising sheep, listening to 90s country music on the back of a tailgate, you know. And just having a good time over in Midian, fugitive, <laughs> running from the outlaw, you know, just having a good time. And that's, that's his view of himself. And then, and then heaven, though, heaven knew everything we now know about Moses. But those two identities had not met yet. They had not, they had not aligned yet. And you see that how that caused Moses to live a certain way. He lived very small. He lived very simple. Nothing wrong with it, but he lived very small. He lived very simple until heaven began to show him, this isn't really who you are. I actually want to show you your true identity. Now, you might be in here thinking, well, yeah, but I'm not Moses. Yeah, but you think just like Moses. You, you're just, many of us are just like Moses. We're, we're no different. Our life is simple. We're not doing much. We're doing a few little things here. And you think, well, this is it. You know, this is why I was put on the planet. It's not a big deal. And that's okay if that's true. But how many of you know, no matter, no matter whether you do great big things in this life or not, heaven has a different perspective about your identity than you do. And I think we're going to be shocked at how many of us get there and find out how heaven really saw our life and what we were doing. And we would all benefit, we would all benefit from aligning our view and our identity of ourselves with heaven's identity of us. We would all, it would change the way that we live, it would change the decisions that we make, it would, it would change how we live on this earth. So Moses was missing a lot of information, and he was living in a very, very small box, and guess what? He had God in that box too. Not only, did, not only did Moses uh, see himself as very small, he didn't have an accurate view of God and who God was either. And you're going to see that from the conversation that he has with God. He, he not only saw himself very small, he saw God very small. He was limited because, remember, he'd been raised in, in the Egyptians. I don't know what, how much he knew or didn't know about God, but he's about to meet the true God. You know, sometimes I imagine, hopefully I can explain this to you, and maybe some of you do this, but sometimes I'll be at my home and I'm watching my kids do certain things, you know, I'm watching one of them play the piano or I'm watching one of them ride a horse and I look over and my wife is sitting over there and I'm like, okay, this is my life. And, and then I think, what if when I was a teenager, like 12 or 14, God could have just given me like a little peek into this moment right now. And like I just wondered how my mind would have been blown. Like looking over and going, oh, that's my wife. I always wondered who I was going to marry. And 
those are my kids and they're half grown now. And one of them's just about bigger than me. And like, how would that have blown my mind to just, I'm, I'm 12 year old, just living life, you know, wondering how things are going to turn out. And God just give me a little sneak peek into my life today at 40. I think my mind would just explode. You know, I would go, wow, I had no idea that's who I was or, or who I was going to be or who my kids were going to be. I, I wouldn't know because when you're, when you're 12, you just have a certain identity, but that identity is going to slowly change over time. And this is what's happening to Moses, but it's happening like, whereas with most of us, it happens slowly. It's happening rapidly with Moses. He's going from redneck shepherd, you know, to savior of the Jewish people, parting the Red Sea. And I just wonder if like in the moment where he's one day on the back of the desert, you know, sitting there and God had just like shown him a little snapshot of him holding up his staff and the Red Sea is parted. And millions of Jew, you know, people walking across and the, red, and the whole sea is just being held back by the power of God. I think Moses would have just, just about passed out. You know, how, how can this be? But that's who he was. He couldn't see it. That's who he was. That was his future. That was his destiny, but he couldn't see it. So Exodus 3.1, let's read the story. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. No telling how many days he did this, how many times he did this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The first little bit of revelation that God gives him is all about identity. And it's first of all about who God is, but it's also about who Moses is because he's connecting Moses to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, this is your heritage. This is the line that you're part of. And he says, I was their God. Well, kind of what he's saying is, but I haven't been your God because you, you, you were like disconnected from this lineage. He said, I am the God that you heard about, your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now, God, remember, Moses' identity of himself and God is very, very, very far off right now. God is speaking from an identity of full and complete knowledge. So he doesn't say this like it's any big deal. He's not like, this is going to shock you, Moses. He just says it like I'm telling you what I had for lunch. 
you know, he's, he's like, so basically I'm going to go down to Egypt and I'm going to deliver the people and, I, and I'm going to bring them into a land of promise and they're going to be, become a great and powerful nation and it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. I'm going to use you to do it. You ready? And he's like, what? Because, because he doesn't see how God sees things. How many of you know this was not hard for God? This is very easy for God. This is like God blinking. This is like God breathing. This is not any hard task. But for humans, that's, there's a misalignment between how God sees things and how we see things. So God just tells Moses how it's going to be. For God, this is common knowledge. He's been planning this for years. Matter of fact, he raised up Moses for this purpose. Uh, and he raised up Pharaoh for this purpose, the Bible tells us. So this is an easy thing for God. But to Moses, this is an impossibility. And what is Moses learning just from these statements? Like Moses is downloading everything. First thing I think he learns is that, wow, this, this God must be pretty powerful. Because he's talking about overthrowing Egypt. He's talking about leading out all of the, all of the uh, Israelite slaves in, into a place of milk. And honey. He's going to give these other places that already have these nations. He's going to give it to them. Uh, he's also learning, wow, God is not aloof. He's not distant. He, the, he says that he knows about their suffering. He, he knows about their pain. He's heard their cry. He's learning that God is, uh, that, that God sees everything and that he knows everything just from this little conversation that he's having with him. Now, the, the following part of this conversation uh, it shows the disconnect between God's view of Moses and uh, Moses' view of his own, own self. Verse 10, God says, Come, and I will send you. Now Moses is really finding out about his identity. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my pe people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Again, simple, easy, direct. This is God. This isn't hard. This isn't a challenge. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and this is going to be the result. But Moses <laughs> is still stuck in his 80 years of identity of himself. So he's, he's had a certain identity for 80 years, and it's not easy to just break out of that. <clears throat> How many of you have, uh, of course, seen the movie Lion King? And you remember Simba. I think they stole the story of Simba from Moses. But Simba's on the backside of the desert, doesn't know who he is, doesn't know his identity. And he's supposed to go back and deliver the, the kingdom and do all this. This is Moses. Except it's not a Disney movie. This is real. He's, he's on the backside and God's telling him, oh yeah, you're the savior of the, of the Jewish people. This is what you were born for. This is what you were called for. And, but Moses just, he's had a certain identity for 80 years. He can't just, he's having trouble just breaking that, you know, instantly. And you're going to see the little bit of tension between him and God because God is going, wait, this is who, you, I created you. I know who you are. You don't know who you are. I need to get you to see who you are. So Moses says to God, who am I? There you go. He don't even know. He doesn't know his identity. He says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but then God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, again, you, you get the disconnect because when God, I'm trying to get you to understand the mindset of God. 
when he looks at you and you go, this is impossible, he expects this one statement to be enough when he says, but I'll be with you. That, that's it. I mean, in God's mind, he's like, do you need anything else than that? I mean, but that's not enough for Moses because he doesn't really know God yet. He doesn't really know God yet. In God's mind, when I, if I'm God and I say, I will be with you, don't ask any more questions. I just told you everything you need to know. It's like if we were going to play three-on-three basketball. And, and I'm like, how are we going to beat this team? And, and then LeBron walks up and he says, I'll be with you. And you go, it's over. Okay. I'll just pass the ball. That'll be fine. LeBron said, he'll be with me. That's all I need to know. It's, it's more than that, though. Okay? It, it, God, is, he looks at Moses, he goes, what's the problem? I'll be with you. What else do you need? And you see this in Scripture over and over. It says, fear not, for I'm with you. See that, that second part. Fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. And if you need anything more than that, if you need any more information than that, then you don't know who God is. And if you need any more information than that, you, you apparently, you don't know and understand how God works. Because when he says, I am with you, there's nothing else you need to know. So that's God's response, of course. He says, how am I going to go to Pharaoh? Bring the children out of Israel. He said, but I'll be with you. That's all you need to know. Exodus 4, 1, continuing reading. Then Moses answered, but, you're going to see but a lot because he just can't wrap his mind around it. So he has an answer for everything God says. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. <laughs> and Moses ran from it. Moses is funny. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And God said that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, and God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. See, all this is just to get people to believe that God is who he says he is. It's all, all of this is to get people to believe that, that God is who God already knows he is. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, but my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Again, you, what you're seeing is a, 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 a tension between identity, a, a misunderstanding of identity. Moses doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who God is, so he has all these questions. And you see God, who knows both, getting a little bit frustrated. And he says, I'm not eloquent of speech. I can't, I can't speak well. And the Lord said, who has made man's mouth? You're talking to the person that made your mouth. And if I need to change it, I can. 
Now, therefore, he said, who makes man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, what ends up happening here? is this sort of settles Moses. But think about the irony. When at first he was upset, God said, I will be with you, and that wasn't enough. Now he tells him that Aaron will be with you, and it settles him. And this shows how how foolish our minds are sometimes. Like God says he'll be with us, that's not enough. But then if we had enough money or we had the right people around us or we had the connections, oh, that would, that would settle us. See, that shows we don't have the right idea of who God is and who we are. Now, here as we close this morning, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that for many of us in this room, I dare say every person in this room, there is a misalignment between how you see yourself, what your identity is, and how God sees you. And what we should be doing as believers is there's, there's two parts to this. The first is renewing our mind on what the Bible says about our identity. Okay, This is something that can be known and discovered easily by renewing our mind on the Word of God. Because the Bible has a lot to say, not just about who you are, but who we all are. In other words, it's, it's not just true for you as an individual, it's true for every Christian. But even that, a lot of us don't really know, and we don't have our grounding and our foundation in. So we start with renewing our mind on who we are as believers. In other words, who all of us are as believers. But then beyond that, Did you know that you can seek God and find out what his unique plan and purpose is for your life? This is one of the most powerful things that I love to tell young people. is is to get them believing and excited that God put you here for a reason. He has a plan for your life. And your goal is not, as many have been told, your goal is not just to go do whatever you want to do. Go do whatever you're good at. Go do whatever you're passionate about. You can be anything. No. No, you can't. You can do that if you want to, but you weren't put here for that. You were put here to discover why God put you here. You weren't here to go find the place where you can make the most money. Well, that'll be a good job. You know, you can make good money doing that. Well, okay, that's not why you were put here. From the time our children were young, as a matter of fact, we we never told them that, oh, you can be anything you want to be. You can can do anything you want to do. We never told them that. We said, God put you on this place for a reason, and we're on this planet for a reason, and we're praying that you'll discover what that is. And if you seek God and you go after God, he'll show you what that purpose is and why you were put here. Now, a lot of times when you say that, people think, oh, well, it's some big thing like Moses. No, it's not. It may not be that. Okay, it may just be raising a family, working a job, owning a business. It may be something. But here's the thing. There's still a purpose. There's still a plan. There is the perfect plan and will of God for your life. And for a young person, they need to see that and know 
that is your identity. You were put here for a reason. And you've got to change that thinking in people's mind. And sometimes as parents, we don't help with this because when those big decisions are being made, we're not communicating like that. We go, well, you know, you can apply to this school and apply to that. And, and, and like it's just all up to them. How do you know it'd be better to seek God and seek the one that put them here and say, let's pray and ask for God's will. Let's pray and ask that God would show us what you're supposed to do in the next step of your life. You don't even have to know the big plan. You just need to know the next step. Let's pray and ask God that he'll show us where you're supposed to go to school. Let's pray and ask God that he'll show us who you're supposed to marry. Let's pray and ask God about the will and purpose and plan for your life. So we have to renew our mind on the general will of God and purpose for everyone. But then we can also seek God about our unique identities and who we are and why God put us here. And listen, armed with that information, just those two things, that will completely change the way that you live. It will change every decision. My identity as a, as a pastor, my identity as a husband, my identity as a son of God affects the decisions that I make on a daily basis. It changes how I act. It changes what I do and what I don't do. You remember the story of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis where, uh, you know, their, Potiphar's wife was, was trying to come on to Joseph and he, he, he ran and he fled away from her. And one of the things that he said was, he said, how could I do this to God, first of all? But then your, your husband, Potiphar, how could I do it to him as well? How could I violate his trust? But his mindset was as an identity, as a son of God, he first said, how could I do this as a son of God? That's my identity. I can't do this. So it affects the way that we live and it affects our choices. And again, this is for you. But if you have children, this needs to be put in them. On an ongoing basis, they need to be reminded and told, you are special, because, not because you're just a human being that has spe- is special. You're special because you're a child of God. And God never put a person on this planet that he didn't have a plan for. And, and there's a plan for your life. And as we seek God and go after God, we're going to find out together what that is. 